From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. Clearly, this is an evolving situation, but it's clear that how we think about business activity as it relates to the climate is changing. Regulators and central banks are understanding risks to financial stability. Um, And I think if we think of the market reaction to the coronavirus, we can see that um, this is it's important to focus on these issues. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. In the past two months, several big U.S. banks have announced a new climate change approach, such as restrictions on financing oil and gas development in the Arctic and coal production. International finance expert Caroline Bradley drills down into green initiatives. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Caroline. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Let's start broadly with the relationship between sustainability and finance and those implications on investment decisions of financial firms and and even things like universities. Yes. Well, the beginning of this year, BlackRock, the world's largest asset management firm, published a couple of letters to CEOs and to its clients stating that BlackRock was going to be putting sustainability at the center of its investment approach because climate risk is now perceived as being investment risk. So BlackRock says we should be moving away from investments with a high sustainability-related risk, such as coal production, and making sustainable funds the standard building blocks in investment solutions for clients wherever possible. Mm -hmm. Companies should improve their climate-related disclosures, and BlackRock would be increasingly disposed to vote against management and board directors when companies are not making sufficient progress on sustainability-related disclosures. While BlackRock noted that the transition to a low-carbon world would take decades, Larry Fink, the CEO, wrote that we should all prepare for a significant reallocation of capital into sustainable strategies. He said that if even 5% of global investors do this, we will see massive capital shifts. This has been perceived by people generally as quite a dramatic um, intervention in this issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, These issues are also affecting universities. Uh, Universities are being increasingly subjected to lobbying campaigns to divest from fossil fuel investments. We know that young people are particularly sensitive to climate issues. Um, A recent letter to the editor of the New York Times described this divestment campaigning as financial theatre. But at the same time, the people who are responsible for managing universities' investment portfolios have difficult decisions to make. Interestingly, Yale's chief investment officer, David Swenson, announced recently that Yale's exposure to thermal coal and oil sands had declined to about 0.02% of the endowment's current market value since 2014. But he also noted that divestment takes time and emphasized that Yale could contribute to climate change solutions through its greatest areas of strength, research, scholarship and education. And this is obviously an ongoing issue for universities. Mm-hmm. Um, the International Chamber of Commerce, or the ICC, which represents 45 million companies across 100 countries, issued a policy agenda in December calling on its membership to 10 actions to align private finance with sustainable development. Could you talk a little about the actions and the reactions? Yes, well, it's interesting to have this um 
business group focusing on the idea of climate change. Uh, the document has the title, A Policy Agenda to Mobilize Finance for People, Planet and Prosperity. And it says that governments and regulatory bodies undertook an impressive and concerted program to address the failings of the financial system in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. But a comparable decade-long action agenda with concrete outcomes is now required to enable the financial system to address global sustainability challenges. Most notably, the document says, the growing climate emergency. Without doing so, the collapse of biodiversity, global warming and irreversible changes to natural systems and structures that we all depend on will produce adverse economic and societal impacts around the world that are far greater than those of the 2008 financial crisis. So the document identifies 10 actions to be taken to align private finance with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, a range of measures that are designed to build sustainability into different aspects of financial regulation and encourage investors to choose sustainable investments. So this includes a focus on financial stability to include climate risks, building sustainability into prudential regulation for financial firms, making sure that sustainability features in credit ratings and credit pricing, and for investors, a standardization of sustainability disclosures, clarification of fiduciary duties for institutional investors and asset managers. The document also argues for establishing sustainable finance taxonomies, a classification system for sustainable investments with standard definitions to ensure comparability, and standards for transition projects, which are projects which are designed to move traditional industrial sectors towards sustainability. Uh, the ICC wants to make sure that consumers' sustainability preferences are taken into account when assessing a client's investment needs and establish simple eco-labeling of sustainable finance products. And they also focus on uh, ensuring financing from different sources, promoting public-private partnerships and an idea of unlocking dormant assets. So these are like bank accounts that people have forgotten they had. Uh, and the plan is to allow those to be used for sustainable de development uh, goal implementation projects. So private sector groups and firms are focusing on sustainability with respect to finance. And we also see there's some official governmental action. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, uh, let's let's shift over to uh, what governments are doing. Could you compare the EU Green Deal pitches an economy that works for the people and the planet with U.S. efforts? So the EU is uh, setting itself out as an organization that's really focused on the idea of sustainable, uh, sustainable finance, sustainable, a sustainable economy. Uh, the Commission has said that Europe should strive to be the first climate neutral continent, and it's proposed a European Green Deal involving transforming the EU into a sustainable economy and at the same time ensuring that the transition is fair and inclusive and puts people first. The slogan is an economy that works for people and the planet. It's clearly a work in progress. The EU is adopting legal instruments towards the e this end, uh, but it is an incremental approach. I should say that this is similar to some of the um, initiatives here to focus on the idea of a Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the EU Commission is the body that is able to make this uh, to push this forward in a way that it's more complicated here. One part of the EU's sustainability strategy is a program for encouraging useful non-financial disclosures by large corporations employing more than 500 people. There was a 2014 directive, and companies began providing disclosures under this directive in 2018. 
the Commission has published a couple of sets of guidelines uh, to enable companies to make these disclosures in 2015, again in 2019, and it's currently engaged in a process to review the directive with a view to improving the disclosures. So this is an example of how it's incremental. Mm -hmm. An organization called the Alliance for Corporate Transparency has studied corporate non-financial disclosures and has concluded that the disclosures made are largely fail to address concrete issues, targets, and principal risks. So one example from its 2019 report is the major extractives company who sets its objective as the well-being of our people, the community, and the environment is considered in everything that we do. And the document says that this exposes warm words rather than concrete targets, which are espoused in too much of today's reporting. So clearly this is an area where there's a lot of debate. A little squishy still. Yes. The EU's focus on non-financial reporting, though, even if it's not as effective as it might be, contrasts with the situation in the US. In 2010, the SEC published guidance on climate-related disclosures, but it's currently much more focused on disclosure about cybersecurity than on disclosures about the climate. SEC Commissioner Alison Heron-Lee said in January 2020 that the SEC's proposed modernization of Regulation SK is most notable for what it does not do, make any attempt to address investors' need for standardized disclosure on climate change risk. Climate-related information that is material, though, is required to be disclosed under U.S. securities laws and also would be required as a financial disclosure in the EU and in other jurisdictions. Materiality under U.S. law focuses on whether a reasonable investor would want to know the information to make an investment decision. And as the reasonable investor's perspectives on the relevance of climate-related information to investment decisions change, um, the information that must be disclosed as material will also change. Mm -hmm. In 2015, the Financial Stability Board set up a task force on climate-related financial disclosures, which reported in 2017, recommending that companies should voluntarily make climate-related disclosure. By the summer of 2019, the task force noted that companies were increasingly making climate-related financial disclosures, but that the disclosures were not really useful to investors. The task force suggested that investors should communicate what information they would find useful. So this is uh, governmental, uh, governmental action. Meanwhile, in 2019, the Network for Greening the Financial System, which includes uh, 36 central banks and supervisors and six observers, issued a number of recommendations to address the role of the financial sector in promoting sustainability, integrating climate-related risks into financial stability monitoring and micro-supervision, integrating sustainability factors into own portfolio management, bridging data gaps, building awareness and intellectual capacity, and encouraging technical assistance and knowledge sharing, achieving robust and internationally consistent climate and environment-related disclosure, and supporting the development of a taxonomy of economic activities. There's clearly a significant overlap between the proposals of this network and those of the ICC. Um, and it's worth noting that the New York State Department of Financial Services joined this network in 2019. Uh, the other participants are not us-based mm -hmm. however when it comes to climate change and financial stability members of the board of governors of the federal reserve have recognized that climate change involves financial stability issues lael brainard in a speech in november last year focused on a number of issues relevant to the work of the fed including banks risk management she said we expect banks to have systems in place that appropriately identify measure control and monitor all of their material risks 
These risks may include severe weather events that can disrupt standard clearing and settlement activity and increase the demand for cash. Banks also need to manage risks surrounding potential loan losses resulting from business interruptions and bankruptcies associated with natural disasters, including risks associated with loans to properties that are likely to become uninsurable or activities that are highly exposed to climate risks. Mm. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, So what's the importance of of taxonomy regulation? What is the importance of taxonomy regulation? Yeah, so one big question to focus on is how to identify sustainable investments. If we want to encourage finance to flow to investments that are sustainable, that are going to promote adaptation and mitigation of climate change, we need to figure out what those investments are, how Mm -hmm. to distinguish between investments that are truly sustainable and investments that really aren't. So this is the idea of developing a taxonomy that a number of the proposals I've been talking about involve. And Uh, The Network for Greening the Financial System, the ICC, both focus on this as something that is important. And the European Union has been working on a taxonomy regulation, which is a classification system for sustainable activities. And they reached political agreement on this regulation at the end of 2019. The taxonomy regulation is important to help investors identify sustainable investments and also to help financial firms to raise capital to fund sustainable business. It's supposed to help prevent greenwashing. Mm -hmm. In the EU, financial products will need to specify whether they are environmentally sustainable. And they have three categories of investment, investments that are already low carbon, uh, enabling investments and transitional investments. But the details of metrics and thresholds are going to come later. And that includes how nuclear energy fits within the scheme. And Mm. that's obviously a complicated question. At the same time, there are a number of different private sector initiatives to develop criteria for green loans and bonds. Uh, The Climate Bonds Initiative involves an international not-for-profit organization that created the first green bond standards in 2010. So this has been going on for some time. Mm -hmm. There are also a number of trade associations that have developed principles for sustainable loans and bonds. The Loan Market Association, the Loan Syndications and Trading Association and the Asia-Pacific Loan Market Association have been involved in these projects. And the International Capital Market Association similarly um, has a set of green bond principles and sustainability bond guidelines. Originally, uh, the ICMA project was developed by a consortium of investment banks and now it's moved to the ICMA, uh, which has an independent secretariat to manage the green bond, uh, sustainability bond guidelines and principles. Green bonds have been issued already by public sector bodies and private se- and the private sector. The World Bank has a green bond program to finance climate change mitigation and adaptation projects. And uh, Tohoku Electric Power Company in Japan recently announced the first green note from a Japanese utility with a 5 billion yen offering of 10-year securities. Uh, this has been certified by the Climate Bonds Initiative, And in the announcement, they say that they did this to attract new investors, and they also want the funds to be used to develop renewable energy. I think we should notice also the ICC's emphasis on the need to combine public sector and private sector investment. So Mm -hmm. it's important to have both the public sector and the private sector involved in these activities. Mm, Anything you'd like to add in closing? Yes, well, clearly this is an evolving situation, but it's clear that how we think about business activity as it relates to the climate is changing. 
regulators and central banks are understanding risks to financial stability. Um, and I think if we think of the market reaction to the coronavirus, we can see that um, this is it's important to focus on these issues. Climate change can disrupt business activity in similar ways to the virus. Weather-related issues can disrupt supply chains just as uh, health issues can. Uh, they can have impacts on insurance companies and banks. And in addition, financial institutions are often used as gatekeepers or actors who can influence or control behavior. We know this from money laundering regulation. We know this from the sanctions environment. And now climate change is one of those areas where we're going to be relying on financial institutions also. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Student Development Program, providing advising based on individual student needs and goals, committing to students' academic, professional, and personal well-being. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash students forward slash student dash development dash program.